Greetings. You're listening to the series A Chat with the CEO on the Breakthrough Channel. I'm your host, Kaustub Hanmankar, the CEO of Breakthrough, and we have with us today Dr. Venkatesh Babu, a consultant neuropsychiatrist and heads the Department of Mental Health and Behavioral Sciences at Fortis Hospital. Along with him is Akanksha Pandey, a clinical psychologist at Fortis Hospital as well. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Venkatesh and Akanksha. Really excited. This is a topic so close to my heart. In this podcast, we will be talking about conversations regarding mental health, the impact it's having on people, what do we look out for, the telltale signs, if I may, and also about how to create a safe space for individuals in our circles to navigate this season. Now, more than ever before, the talk of mental health is in the forefront of so many conversations. Most people have either lost someone in their circles or have had to go through harrowing and a rather helpless experience of running around, trying to find beds, ventilators, etc. I mean, this is not just the physical stress, but it's also so much of impact on every individual who's associated with it. In some cases, it could be trauma. In some cases, it could be survivor's guilt, etc. I would love to hear from both of you some of the challenges that you have been finding in your conversations with the people you're interacting with. Akanksha, would you like to go first on this? Hello, Kostar. Hi, Thank Akanksha. you so much for inviting me here. And I'm so happy that we're talking about such an important topic. And I think this is the need of the hour. We talk about mental health. We are all going through the pandemic, but I think what is going to come next is a mental health pandemic. So we must be prepared mm. for it. So the question that you just put up, as in my experience so far as a therapist, you know, what has been coming up, I think I would just want to give a quick overview about, you know, how I see pandemic as of now, what is my understanding about it? We have come a long way, of course, you know, with respect to the COVID outbreak, we do have a lot of challenges still lying in front of us. It was unprecedented. We were completely unprepared to deal with such crises. Till last year, you know, our fear was much about getting infected or the clients that I was talking to. It was all about the fear of getting infected. But this year, it is more about the resources, whether I will be having the resources in, in case I get infected or my family is you know, affected by COVID. Will I have enough resources to deal with it? And there was a hoarding behavior earlier last year as well, but more of grocery items. You know, This year, it's more about medical supplies like PP kits and medicines and oxygen concentrators is what people are hoarding. So periods of crisis of such severity, it is very natural for the mind to invest predominantly in survival strategies, which is often not guided by morality, rules, or regulations. We often get engaged in behaviors which appear to be self-centered, harm-avoidant, protective, hoarding, migration, etc. And in no ways, these are to be seen as one's character. These are state-dependent behaviors, and these are not trade-dependent behaviors. All it represents is a normal stress reaction, I would say, a kind of a gap between the demand and supply or gap between your expectation versus realities. So somewhere, I think in my experience for last one year as a therapist, I've seen that a lot of fear last year, then it became fear plus fatigue, the pandemic fatigue. Now I think at this point of time, we are dealing with a lot of exhaustion and undesirable behavioral changes. I think what we now look forward to is much of healing spaces for people to come out of this. We all have been warriors in this journey in some or the other way and I think the warriors now need some some kind of healing to be able to come out of it so the commonest experiences that I've been having with my clients they're not just talking about them getting infected they're much 
affected by what they are seeing in the news they are much affected by what's happening in their neighborhood how people are losing their loved ones and i think the biggest thing that we all are affected is helplessness that we are not able to do much out of it we have to stay within the confines of our house and we can't really go out and being humans i think you know that social element is the core of us and we're not able to fulfill that completely is what is i think overwhelming us a lot thank you thank you akanksha uh, dr babu would you like to weigh in on this hey ka good evening thank you for calling thank you for calling out people like us and making this conversation one of the significant conversation i think i would like to just substantiate what akanksha was speaking about why this conversation on mental health why is it important and why important now what has been our experiences so to begin with actually i would like to speak from our country's perspective mental health is a it's a difficult topic in the last 10 years of my clinical practice i think this has been always the challenge but there had been times i have been getting better but this pandemic has been i think the real shake up what was the pre existing scenario one needs to understand because akansha was very keen on touching on mental health pandemic or may i call it pandemic because i tell you the existing scenario pre covid as far as our country is concerned world health organization states one in four or one in five people in the country of 1.3 billion people suffer from some form of mental illness that is one in four or one in five we are one in three mm. right now add one among this group it's one of us in our lifetime we lose one person by suicide every 48 second wow every 48 second so by the time i finish my response i don't know i have to count on the numbers the treatment gap mental health treatment gap in our country is almost amounting to 70 to 92 percent that means maybe 10 to 15 people or the most 30 people out of every 100 in the best case scenarios so mm. 70 to 92 percent ranging mental health treatment gap there is one psychiatrist there is 0.75 psychiatrists per every lakh population not even one the world health organization says it has to be at least 3 there is less than one clinical psychologist less than one clinical psychologist per 10 lakh so these are exorbitant numbers we just have 56000 beds nationally for psychiatric care so what i'm trying to emphasize here is we were on an infrastructure which was exorbitantly skewed towards lack of care lack mm. of infrastructure lack of manpower and now welcome our new invisible enemy the covid 19 now he has uh, taken us through the ride across the socio economic strata across the geographies ethnicity everything my experience in the last one year as far as treating the covid patients are concerned 20% of the people who were infected with covid are having some form of anxiety depressive or any other mental health issues that is mm. every one patient surviving a covid is consulting us and this is happening within the first 3 months of covid being diagnosed covid these are very very significant numbers for the kind of infrastructure so it says that these conversations these the creation of safe spaces is very well demarcated it is the need of the heart somebody need not be 
significantly mentally ill to seek help and mm-hmm. our effort should not be to wait till a significant severity of mental illness our effort should be at the level of community intervention supporting people supporting families supporting teams and supporting organizations thereby we will chip away a huge burden on the mental health infrastructure which is largely inexistent as of now dr venkatesh thank you for sharing that i mean it just puts in perspective how tiny a fragment of the population is really getting impacted by the conversations on uh, mental well-being or the conversation or even like uh, help and support for mental health right so i would like to ask if you would be open to elaborate a little bit more on you did touch upon the people who have been impacted by covid directly who have been diagnosed with covid and within 3 months have come back to seek help but what about the people and the families surrounding them like how have they been impacted what has your experience been with that well somebody being diagnosed with covid and being a survivor or somebody being diagnosed with covid and were unlucky enough to come back to the families so there are different range of symptoms which have been identified in this covid population and the caregivers these symptoms range from sleep disturbances like insomnia new onset of anxiety and depressive symptoms some cases even amounting to psychotic features what do we call psychotic is people start experiencing hallucinations delusions abnormal thought patterns some even express exhibiting self harm or suicidal behavior state of helplessness and definitely panic attacks post traumatic stress symptoms so there are wide range of symptoms which have been displayed in the covid pop- covid survivors yes largely most significant but within the family members what is more dominant is the survivors guilt and uh, uh, it is a complex phenomenon the survivor guilt itself and we are going to invest all our energy and effort in the coming couple of years dealing with this uh, survivors guilt because this is going to be volumes of post traumatic stress individuals because there are so many reasons why it is going to be that way uh, just imagine around us don't we know at least five families who lost one member that's mm. the case with every one of us be it a doctor be it a psychologist be it a it professional be it a daily wage worker everybody knows at least one to five families losing somebody or the other i mean that's very true because i think that is something which was like i remember in the first wave it was always like you would read about it but in the second wave i think it's a lot more real like people in our extended circles in some cases of course the immediate circles where they have either been impacted very badly by covid or have lost somebody by covid it has been very real and i think there's another element which has come i think uh, you did touch upon it uh, dr venkatesh in your response is the element of anxiety and panic attacks and i'm going to speak for this for myself i have battled this in the last year or so multiple times you know like managing home managing everything that's been going around like even just looking at rebuilding a business it was a nightmare to be honest like there are days when i remember i did not want to get out of bed i binged watch tv i have ordered all the unhealthy food i have not worked out and to be honest it took me a little while and talking to people that helped me recognize that i was going through an episode of anxiety or like having ridiculously high heartbeat 
I like to track data about everything that is uh, available. So like, uh, like I think you did mention uh, highly interrupted sleep patterns. There are a lot of people that I've been speaking to who talk about it, who are experiencing this in some level or the other. So uh, let me lead this question with you, Dr. Venkatesh, is what do I need to be looking out for? What are some of the indicators in a broad way? I know you touched upon a few more. If we can go a little deeper into like a lot of the behaviors may not even, maybe rather subtle. It may not be very obvious. So from that perspective, what are some things that I should be looking out for myself or for people around me who I feel might be ex experiencing an element of anxiety, experiencing either coming up with a panic attack or going through one or any of those stress-related or pandemic-related situations that are happening around us? I think I should say that that's a very, very interesting question. You inquired about panic attacks, anxiety, and uh, checking around things. There can be two parts for this, two parts in the answer for this question. I would like to address the biological part. I think Akansha can pick up the psychological aspect of it about the survivor and the, the human brain and the human mind approaches. When it comes to biological perspective, Kav, what is panic attack? As you said, you know, you've experienced it. Now, I would say that usually people experience palpitations. In a panic mm -hmm. attack, people experience, let me keep it interactive here. When you experience panic attacks, did you go through palpitations, breathing difficulty, shortness in breath, or sweating, constant unease, some intense fear that something terrible can go wrong? These were the set of symptoms? I mean, if I had a checklist in front of you, me and said just it was a multiple yes choice no. question, I would have said yes to all. Yes, right? <laughs> so somewhere a mix and match of this. Now I would like to ask you, what would your experience be when, if there is, let's say there's a snake beside you in the room where you're sitting, what would be your experience if there's a snake beside you? Do you experience palpitations? I would definitely experience pretty much all of the symptoms I think all you mentioned. Of the symptoms, isn't it? Mm. So what is the important part here is, first we need to understand this phenomenon of fear, what happens in real life uh, scenarios. Fear has a cascading phenomenon where your brain identifies a threat. That is the snake in this example. Mm. Once you identify the snake, then your brain identifies this as a threat. There's a chemical mediation from the brain to the body that you are under threat, protect yourself. So the safeguard mechanisms are activated. Mm. Once the safeguard mechanisms are activated, then body produces something called as adrenaline, epinephrine or norepinephrine. So these are the neurotransmitters these are the safeguarding hormones. Where there's a crisis, these guys take up the role. It's like the Indian army. So once these guys activate, then they execute a maneuver that is called as a fight or a flight mechanism. What happens in this fight or flight mechanism is you run out of that room or if the room is locked, you will kill that snake. Mm. But the real question is, where is your attention placed during this fight or flight mechanism? On the snake. Right. You are not focusing on why is your heart beating? Why am I sweating? Why am I shivering? Why am I panting? You don't focus on these aspects because your brain is automatically correlating with the snake and the physiological changes your body is enduring. But what happens in a panic attack is this. There is no snake. There is no brain identifying the threat and communicating that. There may be some kind of disordered activation of adrenaline mechanisms 
Now, once the adrenaline is active, the physiological changes of the body goes through, but the brain is searching the snake. When the brain searches the snake, it don't find one. Then it starts mm. anticipating the snake. That's where the anticipatory anxiety picks in. What I'm trying to say is, here the snake need not be real. The snake can be imaginary too. Even that triggers mm. of the anxiety mechanisms. What is happening with panic attack? COVID is not a real snake. It is an imaginary snake. Now just imagine how many brain circuits are being ticked off. Mm. What if my child is going to get COVID? What if my family is going to get COVID? I got COVID, will I come back if I'm walking into a hospital? Now just understand how many anxiety circuits are triggered off, how many people are getting these panic attacks. I get at least on an average three to five cases every day just and just for panic attacks for the last one year. Wow. Okay. So the human body works like a pendulum. You know, it sways on one side, it sways to the other side. But when it sways extreme, then it stops. The body has a mechanism to bounce back. But when it's face too extreme, there's too much of overload. Now, what we are going through is the too much of overload situation. So what I mean to say is these are phenomena. So not everything is an abnormal human behavior. These are extreme states which are becoming difficult to endure. When somebody walks into a psychiatrist, we don't diagnose everybody as psychiatrically ill. Mm-hmm. We would say that no seems to be it is too much on your plate. We want to help them how to undo it, how to declutter it. The way out of it is always about understanding what is going through with us. As long as you don't understand, you don't know where to shoot. Mm. I think Akansha can add up to the psychological aspect. There are wonderful brain mechanisms as far as the survival brain is concerned. I think if she wanted to pitch in here. Akansha? Yes, I think very interesting conversation and uh, very rightly uh, Dr. Venkatesh has been able to pen down or at least put down a lot of biological aspects to panic attacks, which definitely happens to be the core of panic disorder. But when we look at any kind of a disorder or a condition, clinical condition, we look at it from a biopsychosocial perspective. So one mm-hmm. is the biological aspect, which he has already spoken about, where, you know, there are a lot of neurochemicals and hormones which come into the play. Any disturbances in those can trigger certain clinical conditions. But every problem is to be seen from a cause and effect understanding. So the changes that happen, the symptoms that happen, they are basically the effect of a particular situation or a condition. What causes it? Now, that makes me move to the psychological makeup of the person. So psychological makeup is your personality style, the way you think, the way you respond to things, your coping mechanisms, your problem solving, your decision making, all of these happens to be the psychological makeup. Now, when you talk about psychological makeup, for example, I'm very sensitive as a person. So when I'm very Mm -hmm. sensitive, I will be very vulnerable to almost getting influenced by anything to everything or I, you know, if I'm very organized as a person, I'm a very perfectionist kind of a person. I like to have things in my control. Then also, if things are not in my control or if I end up losing my control, it might affect me way too much. For example, this pandemic. I'm somebody who's very organized, but now because of this pandemic, there's a lockdown. We all are confined within the same spaces. There's everyone intruding into each other's space. So if I'm not flexible, I'm going to be more vulnerable to that particular situation. Also, Mm. 
my thinking styles. There are something called as dysfunctional thinking pattern. For example, jumping onto conclusions, catastrophization, generalization. Now, they also play a lot of roles, especially in anxiety disorders and more so in panic attacks because you end up catastrophizing maybe something very small. You end up generalizing just because you experienced it once. You feel like, you know, it's going to happen always. So there are certain dysfunctional thinking pattern which needs a modification, which is what we do in the psychological management of panic disorders. So yes, psychological impact and of course your social factors also. Now that also has a strong role in the conditions that you may manifest, especially a panic attack. For example, the social condition right now is the pandemic. We are all in this together. There is a significant external factor which is making me overwhelmed. So combining all of these factors is how we look at any particular condition or for example, you know, panic attack as we are talking about. So the treatment of course focuses on all of these three areas, the biological, fixing of the neurochemicals and of course working on to the psychological factors which definitely takes time psychological mm. stories and therapies they definitely they are a process they are not something that you can get you know overnight so it is a process it takes time it takes a therapeutic alliance between a therapist and the client because we have to help them explore therapy is nowhere about you know me solving their problem it is me being a facilitator to them help them explore their own journey so far and understand where they are coming up with a particular behavior and then trying to you know do a bit of restructuring of those thoughts and behaviors thank you for that akanksha i'm a huge fan of therapy so i absolutely <laughs> agree with you i like the process of unraveling that unpacking that it, that that an individual goes through i do want to just ask you another question on a front that you had uh, shared in the first conversation where you talked about the pandemic fatigue Do you feel like now about more than a year later you know since the pandemic has started the pandemic fatigue is very real especially for people like what you were rightly mentioning cooped in and being stuck in one place unsure of what who is going to be hit next etc do you feel that it has acted as a catalyst for people to experience a lot of these challenges or to magnify a lot of these challenges that people are experiencing definitely yes like i said you know again it can be seen from the whole understanding of cause and effect somewhere it has been a cause and somewhere it is also an effect to the whole mm. situation like you said the first wave definitely brought in a lot of clinical symptoms in people like you know people were having palpitations they were having a lot of you know restlessness they were low mood they were crying spells you know physical emotional and behavioral changes were noticed as we are progressing over the year we are noticing more of behavioral changes non clinical manner for example you know there's a resistance to work there is a mm-hmm. sense of failure there is a sense of resentment anger just at the drop of a hat later on we may only regret about you know how did i and why did i behave that way there is a lot of discouragement in our general tone or indifference towards what's happening around or in the extremes also maybe we are sometimes overreacting but at times we are also i see a lot of clients who are telling that you know they become very indifferent to things and that is worrying them because they see that it is it might be a permanent change in their personality so even that seems to be hanging up a lot you know a preference for isolation within the home people don't want to talk about trees now because probably they are assuming that everyone is in this together so you know everyone would be tired should i be talking about it or not to a lot of mm. the draw like subtle symptoms are there like 
tired all day even if you have not done anything but still i feel like i'm very tired you know smallest of the activities like getting out of the brush and go getting out of bed and going to brush your teeth is like julian task right now there's a lot of clock watching suppose you are doing something sitting in a meeting and you're constantly in a clock watching loss of positive feelings towards yourself towards people around you towards situation in general you know or if um, absenteeism from work or you know not being willing to take part in the domestic responsibilities or you know other activities that happen at home so i think it has definitely led us to some kind of a burnout state and burnout is mm. like an extreme emotional exhaustion so maybe you're not sitting and crying every day and telling that you are this, this depressed but it is an extreme state where like you kind of give up on things you start depersonalizing as if i i just don't belong to anything i don't belong here i don't want to do anything about it there's a lack of lot of personal accomplishments also and i think put together yes it it has affected all of us in multiple ways not just physically but emotionally behaviorally socially in all possible ways so sort of like uh, we've reached a stage where we are numbing a lot of the emotions that we experience a lot of the expressions that we would want to have am i right in saying very saying much. that very okay. much just leading on to the next point this is something which i am very keen to understand you know like people are going through all of those things that you mentioned about like i mean as you were rattling it off i was reflecting on my own experience and my own journey and i just didn't realize i was doing so many of the things that you experienced you know like having an element of indifference or like my irritation levels are on the higher side especially on times when i'm not conscious or not aware of what i'm experiencing what my emotions are telling me it's easy you know to lose our to lose my cool and i think especially when i look at it uh, one point which you did mention which i think is very very strong which i have had a few conversations with a couple of folks on in terms of there is a i, I don't want to use the word guilt there is a hesitation to reach out to somebody else saying even he or she might be going through something or they might have some difficulty in their life so it's okay let me not trouble them you know and i think that's something very frequent how do you navigate that like that is i know i hear this a lot with people i've been talking to how would you navigate that i think we look at it from the multiple perspectives as in what is the cause for it number one mm. is there any help available around me if yes is it the appropriate and adequate help that i'm looking forward to number 2 you know it is a normal tendency for us humans to try to run into our shells when we are in a crisis and especially at this point of time when we see that everyone is in the same boat so who to talk about it everyone mm-hmm. is going to their own share so yes number 2 that is the thing number 3 there is a lot of shame and guilt associated with you know talking about your problems because somewhere it has been equated to your character flaw you know okay and- you weak or it being considered as weakness exactly yeah yes, you're being very weak come on you can't be so vulnerable you have to stay strong you have to act strong i think this is the point this is the time where we have to stop talking about that at least and you know we are all if we have pulled ourselves for more than a year in this pandemic i think we are all very strong in ourselves but being strong does not mean at all that there won't be moments of crisis there won't be moments of you feeling weak at times why the whole narrative about the word weak you know how do we use that what is wrong with that word it is is it not normal for us to feel weak at times you know the moment i feel weak what i'm supposed to do i must acknowledge it i must take rest or i must work on it so somewhere i believe you know the lack of right narrative about taking help is the reason why people don't want to talk about it and last not the least is the available resources like who do i talk to how do i reach there 
multiple other issues can be the reason but these four happen to be the most strong one that is playing a role right now so i think you know again it brings me to the point that we need to be very collective in our efforts right now we are in this pandemic together it's pan we are all in this together so we have mm. to bring collective efforts so that you know we can help each other and at least we can maybe starting from your home within the home maybe we can have everyone you know one hour or maybe 45 minutes in a day we all sit together we talk to each other maybe at organization level we all sit together and at least once in a week we can have a listening circle where we talk about issues we don't have to solve the issues we can talk about it at least we can hurt mm. people a lot by just letting them say what they are feeling without trying to correct we all you know the basic premises of therapy and counseling is that you don't you always assume that everyone is capable of helping themselves they just need the right environment and support to do it thank you for that like i think this is a this is the right time for us to even like pivot into the organization side like i really like what you said is what are some of the rituals that we can create as an organization whether it's listening circles whether it's um, i mean there are different organizations have different principles like at breakthrough one of the things that we have started doing is we start all our meetings by getting people to share some of the good things that they've been experiencing we have affirmation circles that have been happening and i think i think a lot of the organizations are going above and beyond in this season to see how they can help or support their uh, people you know like right from access to finance having care centers even setting up back vaccination centers for their employees and families unrestricted leaves etc Dr Babu the question is to you what are some of the critical elements you have seen organization integrate into their employee assistant programs or eaps that have been aiding the mental well-being of their people and also and continue that conversation is if you have seen something that's missing that they could be doing what would those be i guess i we don't have a perfect answer for this question in the first place because mm. uh, the first reason being none of us were prepared for a pandemic none Absolutely. of us be it individual weight organization we do the fire drills because we know there is a fire everywhere <laughs> so we prepare for ourselves we timely train ourselves but this kind of mechanism how to deal a pandemic never existed so the policies doesn't exist the worksheets doesn't exist so in my experience i should say that you know what, i have a couple of stories in understanding for the last one year how people are dealing with across the different uh, industries be it healthcare that's where the, mm-hmm. the innovation is starting because they are the ones who are most prominently hit but mm-hmm. everybody else also so the innovations in work life, work routines team cohesiveness workflows everything is being reinvented at healthcare at it sectors uh, at other organizations so i have couple of uh, interesting observations i have been noticing i think i can begin with my own sector that is healthcare uh, when i said uh, we have ne- not prepared for that so first and foremost we should build a new atmosphere a culture a culture in the workplace which opens up an opportunity to say okay i call it as okay culture where the emphasis has to be on the process not on the brownie points mm. if somebody makes a mistake there should be an option a platform or a window where they can come back and say i don't want to even even call it as a mistake somebody makes 
somebody performs in a different way there is a variance that should not be measured as a right and wrong because there is no perfect way in this time i can give you a very interesting example at mm-hmm. fortis healthcare our icu has uh, one of the best uh, data points for the patients who have uh, been admitted at covid icu and i happened to see that the icu clinical lead is a man who is very largely aware about uh, mindfulness subtleties of human mechanisms human mental health perspective the most important thing what he emphasized for his team is please record all the errors please record every possible error now what did it take to it took for the team to track all the variants because covid is so variant in its presentation now they started finding out every patient an individualistic solution now only an atmosphere of okay culture gives space for this variability you can read the variability somebody is working from home now i can replicate this example to many places somebody working from home flexibility in the work routine it does mm. make a difference somebody is working from home somewhere remote uh, finding so you have to give that individual a voice to innovate or create or bring up with his own way of work style with his own way of presentation with his own way of communicating here the team managers becomes the crux because they have to take the pride of variability in their own teams they have to there should not be an effort to uniform the teams you have mm. to celebrate the individualism there are organizations who have brought in certain internal campaigns there are campaigns where certain senior leaders have shared their own difficulties through a video now this video mm. what it has done is it has humanized the leaders once something is humanized there is a strong possibility that it is going to be modeled and imitated because when you see somebody whom you maybe admire or in, draw some inspiration and see somebody who is uh, successful enough and then you see the human side of it then you want to replicate it now this because negative stories take a lot of traction don't be surprised with that so mm. positive stories has to be put within the organization maybe in the form of an anecdote maybe in the form of their own story maybe in the form of a blog maybe in the form of a video this has to be internally circulated now the emphasis should not be on what medicines did they take when they fall covid positive right Because yeah we are so much hell bent on uh, holding them decibel oxygen concentrators we are holding dexamethasones we are holding every possible thing every new molecule fabi blue so everything what's been happening in the news we are holding it because we that's the survival brain don't work mm. on that part because eventually even if you have a remdesivir you're not going to inject on yourself or on your kid but what is more important is that may, these videos can emphasize on how did i cope what was the challenges i had i i tell you i had i had my aunt and uncle and small kid four year old and a two year old aunt and uncle are positive and the two year old is positive we don't know what to do with the four year old mm. i had this situation at hand should i bring that boy or should i let him be there because he is two days exposed now we don't have perfect answers for these kind of things so every employee of yours would be going to something of such a nature right so this individualistic approach give that openness for that ex- easy exchange culture and uh, working on empathy through the communication and please be open for all possible feedbacks these are very very much important in fact 
there has to be uh, i think a lot of research is happening as of now as far as even the organization but these are the key takeaways i think uh, which we are working on and there's a new thing what we are doing right now it's called a sassy saturday so all the doctors talk not about health not about patients about each other's families we have a new group mm. so i think you have to find what is convenient in your sector what is suitable for your domain what is required for my employees i think this is the need of the individualization and innovation should be the key for it and from a manager or a leader's perspective what do you feel is one of the most critical skills that they would need to demonstrate or even equip themselves if they don't have it with the perspective of creating the safe space i think you briefly touched upon the difficulty seeking help mm mm-hmm. that's the case even with respect to difficulty of expressing opinions as of now with the chi- trying mm. circumstances i think uh, the market is witness to this that there has been a better productivity and work output from the employees in the last couple of calendar uh, quarters in the last calendar year which uh, is a kind of a paradox people are being yeah. working from home but they are working more efficiently now you can be happy as an employer with this or you can also be concerned with this it's a, a direct indicator in the form of better work. maybe work from home is a alternative model to execute work maybe people are frightened maybe people are on the edge maybe people are trying to stand up to the best possible extent they don't want to witness any further insecurities with the job and everything else now this is a very very subtle understanding of human behavior why i brought this is it is the manager who is the glue between the organization and the individual employee Mm-hmm. when it becomes manager what is important is number one normalize any emotional or mental health related conversations try to bring mm-hmm. it try to normalize it when you open up as you touched upon you start up with a positive story affirmation so you are trying to communicate that to your employee saying it's okay we are all fragile we are all can fall but let us bounce back we have the ability i went through mm. it so, so can anybody so you are trying to model yourself so modeling is a very very important normalizing mental health conversation is very much important i would also give one more anecdote there there was one interesting patient who came to me what can managers do this is a very real time real life example a young fellow who came to me his wife was pregnant so mm-hmm. she was working from home he was helter skelter running around extremely anxious not able to deal with how to safeguard my wife how to safeguard myself how to work she is pregnant i don't know how can i do this stuff so through the process of we didn't put him on any medications through the process of therapy we started suggesting certain strategies how to deal through but unknowingly something interesting started happening this one of his team manager this lady elderly lady from uk i guess Mm-hmm. so this lady when she happened to witness this boy being a bit anxious unlike what he was she started investing 5 minutes at the end of the team meeting mm. after the team meeting she she ended up investing 5 minutes talking to him so how are things going how are work from home everything so she got to know that he is quite preoccupied with his wife being pregnant everything so for the next next 6 months of his pregnancy and the baby is born she made sure that she always had a 
brief conversation for two three minutes at the end of the meeting, inquiring about how he's keeping up, how his wife is dealing, about the pregnancy, mm. what he can do because she was fifty sixty years old. There's no new skill what she brought in. She brought in a motherhood, mm-hmm. and she even sent a small book how to prepare for parenting. Now this was one manager's work. This fellow he has outdone his performance in the last meeting, and he's my current uh, client. So these kind of this kind of small stories it makes sense. Now the manager did not invest on everybody in the meeting. The manager identified the employee and invested five minutes. And it, mind you, it has to be a one-on-one conversation because mm. it is a virtual r- virtual chat rooms in which we are engaging. Okay, nobody wants to speak what is troubling them in public. So. you have to give that importance to the privacy and you have to treat the person as a human behind it and if you extend help they always take it that's a fantastic that's a fantastic anecdote i think uh, like if i if i may summarize it before i would love to hear akanksha's perspective from a psychologist side you know so dr venkatesh from your conversation the skills that really jumped out is one is being sensitive to changes that you might be experiencing in your people not just purely from a performance the performance can be an indicator and also the second largest one is being more empathetic and humanizing the situation like saying it's okay we're there and communicating support am i right in picking the three key elements that from your conversation exactly you you're head on point excellent akanksha i'm very curious to hear you know like uh, from a psychologist perspective right like what do you feel and like somebody at a leadership level or a managerial level like what do you feel that they need to push up a little bit more and how do they get down to doing it i think very very valid points put up by dr venkatesh here i would just want to add to a few points you know what a manager what a leader can do i think the first thing because we are all very vulnerable right now and it's very difficult to figure out from the face value that who is really disturbed and how much are they disturbed so i think in mm. a kind of a psychological contract a contract of your mental health at an organization level i think is going to be a wonderful thing why because that will include basically nothing but just a word that whenever you are in distress please acknowledge and communicate a lot of people get scared maybe at organization level that you know what will i do if somebody comes and tells me hey i'm suicidal so you know they don't want to get into the mess of it but i think it mm. is very very simple thing all you have to do is if somebody is coming to you and telling you that i'm feeling all of these things please at least you can help them to be referred to the right person you don't have to fix their problem you don't have to work on their suicidality you only have to refer to them them to the right source so i think that can be one of the psychological contracts where you encourage your people to talk about issues no matter what it is then number 2 prioritizing health and well being as a leader you know maybe yes strengthening your eaps encouraging more of counseling sessions doing a lot of mental health related workshops encouraging fitness and recreation or you know developing some social support system but i think mm. that this building a culture of openness about mental health is something which is very important and it definitely directly goes on to the narrative that we have start conversations on mental health you know i very i appreciate you know how you people have brought in changes in your you know meeting structure like you start with checking in with your uh, colleagues and employees so i think that's very important 
that opens up the idea of talking you know we often encourage people to talk but we mm-hmm. don't know how to respond when somebody is talking couple of days back i had this session with the teachers to train them with counseling skills it was a one hour session the purpose was not to turn them into counselors in front but the purpose was to give them some basic skills on how to respond to crises you know a lot of times managers in the organizations happens to be the first responders so mm-hmm. they should know you know how to be you know how to respond to these uh, kind of situations especially with regards to communication empathy so you know when you build a culture of openness about mental health you may encourage people to identify and accept their distress reassure them of the organizational support i think that is a very big support that can be offered guide them to seek professional help and follow up with them as a leader just helping them at one step is not the only thing maybe following up is a very important thing checking on them how are they really doing are they getting benefit out of you know the help that has been offered to them so mm. the leadership here is basically first thing is that you change your own narrative you know is a lot about being genuine you know i say something but i do something else that discrepancy will definitely take the essence of so i have to first change my narrative about all of these things i have to if i have to be a mentor i have to be a role model first of all you know as a mm-hmm. leader i should be open to seek help if i am in distress you know i should be able to share my personal experiences and i really appreciate how you've been experiencing uh, expressing your experiences over the last one year so it's very important because it gives them a kind of relatability it takes away a lot of guilt and shame that people have in talking about these issues and i think the most important skill like you spoke about the core skill i think is active listening listening mm. has to be one of the most important skill a lot of times when people come and talk to us about their problem we often end up you know uh, cutting them in between or start giving them solutions and advices i think that is something that can be completely uh, avoided we have to be the facilitator we have to listen right. to what they are saying maybe they just want to be heard and after having been heard they will only reflect on what they said and they will start working on these issues after having been heard maybe the only thing you can do is you can ask them how do you want me to help you instead mm-hmm. of assuming how you have to help them or how they want to be helped ask them how do you want me to help you and then maybe you can give them some solutions some options and i think another important point is once i have given them options or some solutions i shouldn't you know force them to follow that i should give them some time to think about it to absorb my solutions and let them choose whatever they want to a lot of times i've seen that people you know they have good intention of helping them but you know the moment they offer the help and the other person takes the time to respond they get very angry they feel mm-hmm. like you know, he just doesn't know how to be you know responsive he, he doesn't want to be help he only wants to crib and cry these are the statements that can be avoided invalidating statements can be avoided come on it's not a big deal we are all in this together so these are yeah. the things that a leader can avoid rather just listen and don't try to solve their problem be a facilitator for them you know refrain from using labeling terms you know at this point of time because it's it's a tough time for all of us we are it is not the time for us to see what is good or bad we have to only facilitate the right behavior at this time and i think one more point i would like to add here oscar is self care self care mm-hmm. i think is very very important right now so when i talk about self care it is not just the physical hygiene that we do of course that is very important but it is about psychological hygiene as well you expressing your feelings your emotions talking about them reaching out to people maintaining your social connections maybe not 
physically, but virtually, yes, we have to maintain physical distance, but it is not about emotional distancing at all. We can continue to be connected with our loved ones. We don't have to hesitate. Should I call? Should I not call? Maybe you calling them can actually make them feel a lot better. What mm-hmm. if they were hesitating and your call made them feel a lot better? So, you know, self-care with regards to your psychological hygiene and sleep hygiene. Sleep is something which is very important. Adequate sleep is very important. If you are low on your sleep, you're definitely your next day is going to be completely messed up. It is going to be very, you know, you'll be irritable. You'll be, you know, at the brink all the time to just, you know, you will not respond to situations. You will end up reacting. And there's a huge difference between responding and reacting. So I think as a leader, we have to first work on ourselves and then we have to display that behavior to others and encourage them to follow that and appreciate them for doing that. Arangsha, that's such a valid point and you just stole my next question. So thank you for answering that in advance because I feel like uh, you're right in saying essentially managers are the first responders, right? Are the people who administer mental health first aid, like as you were mentioning in our earlier conversation. Mm-hmm. And for people to be able to administer that, like it's important that they are taken care of themselves as well. And so I think what you mentioned in terms of the self-care, I think it's a very critical point. And on a lighter note, I, I think I struggle with over-adequate sleep issues, in, um, which is, again, anyway. So yeah, I think uh, for me, that's, big, that's my biggest indicator to know that my self-care is, a, I need to up that. It's the moment I know I'm sleeping even a little less. I know it's like something off, you know, but yeah. Coming back to the conversation in terms of the organization, right? I think there's some very, very, very strong points that were shared by both Dr. Venkatesh and yourself about what organizations need to be doing, what managers need to be doing. And to be honest, I don't think any of us is going to come out of this whole pandemic cycle the same way we entered in it. We're all going to have some element of difference, some element of impact in the way we are experiencing this, right? And I think as we come back, as life starts coming back to whatever the new normal may be, I don't know, to be honest, hybrid, like come back, everybody comes back to work. One of the challenges is that this whole focus or the conversation on the safe space for increasing vulnerability or even normalizing people to talk about challenges that they might be facing, intangible challenges that they might be facing, may tend to die down. So the question is, how do we start continuing to keep the focus active on creating the safe space when we come back? So I think we have to focus here on, you know, one of the intrinsic traits that we all have, which is adaptability. Mm-hmm. If we know one and a half years back that, you know, we are going to be dealing with this pandemic in such a way, we didn't know, but we adapted to it, right? So similarly, one this pandemic is over whenever it is and we go back to our normal lives maybe i mean like rightly you said maybe not exactly how it was but with some changes and uh, new modifications happening into it but the moment we go back to it again it will take some time it will be a moment of transition and transitions always have friction in it they always take time for us to adjust but we ultimately we adapt and right now we need to talk about the support system. I think adaptability always requires proper support system. And support system should be more flexible. You see, at this point of time also, if I talk about you know productivity and all, I think 
we should, we are more than happy that there is a continuity in our life at least thanks to internet or technology whatever but we have continuity with such a big pandemic we are still able to continue with what we are doing so continuity should be the target once we get back to our normal life flexibility has to be there in order to appreciate whatever little we are able to do but at least we are on the right track and a good support system again you know talking about the same things where you still encourage people to talk about the challenges you know we have been facing challenges in different shapes and form once we get back to our regular life there will be challenges again we should still be open to talk about it we should not you know refrain ourselves from saying now that we are back mm. to normal we don't have to talk about it we can still talk about it because now we are used to of this life it is uh, uncomfortable to us but yes we are still used to of this life you know working from home and you know having your own setup so going back to office is going to be a challenging time we have to be patient we have to be flexible we have to offer the right support you know as a manager as a leader or even you know at an individual level also we should refrain from invalidating anybody's experience i think flexibility and adaptability will definitely take us along dr venkatesh would you like to weigh in on this yeah i think i would like to answer this question in two parts one is uh, what should be the short term vision and long term vision be it uh, maintaining the safe spaces or be it how should uh, the organizations should start thinking from here after mm-hmm. the short term vision has to be for that we have to be a bit realistic in our understanding about the current scenario see the current efforts in the healthcare has been such that we are trying to produce vaccines with the process that we are trying to immunize as many as possible the concept being the herd immunity where try to immunize at least two third of it so that you know we will be efficient enough to break the chain of infections even vaccination as a medium of uh, building resistance in the form of antibodies but there is a parallel phenomenon happening in the form of mutations variations mm. where there is a second double mutation the second spike second wave there is going to be a third wave fourth wave all these conditions so one need to be realistic in understanding what is the ground reality the second wave and the magnitude of it has multiple factors but one being callousness or maybe you can call it fatigue people stop being protective so this is the reality so this is the new normal that's where i start mm. the new normal it has to be accepted in the first place maybe things are going to be this way when it comes to living or working for the next one two or three years maybe there is no white and black solution where one fine day it's all going to be done we are free back to pre covid times it does it's not going to happen mm-hmm. so there is going to be transition so the principles i think the organizations has to invest if they have to start opening up offices start working is safety first number one you have to define all your uh, measures keeping in view of your employees safety first number two who should return and why this is the key mm. question people in the upper tiers of organization has to really question should i really call someone should i if i have to then why is it why is it so essential the work from home is the safest option but if it is not going to be work then there has to be very strong rationale behind it mm-hmm. facilitating the change the change what they are going through because last one year people are working from home they have built their own safety mechanisms now they are going to struggle to let go of those safety mechanisms so there has to be platforms all the strategies what is what we spoke of openness communication transparency genuinity support system everything 
everything has to be put forth in place if you are facilitating a change asking somebody to come back i think these mm. are the key pointers as far as the short term vision is concerned but i also so believe there has to be a long term vision in this understanding for the safe spaces are concerned because mental health is not for covid 19 pandemic mental health is for mental well being absolutely so the long term aspects has to be such that you not know, the organizations has to invest in training training the workforce in not in treating people but in preventing the mental health issues prevention mm. is the key here i would like to give a data here uh, the world health organization categorically states that you invest 1 dollar on mental health of your organization what you get in return is 4 dollars i think that's a kind of returns um, no organization can calendar uh, can clock in the calendar investment in in educating your resources investment in identifying the resources in house resources they as you guys touched upon the first aid mental health first aid so we have to invest in building up policies to identify the gatekeepers suicide mm-hmm. gatekeepers or first responders invest just like fire training there has to be psychological first aid periodic training and up, uh, resource up building one key aspect i believe the performance reviews what uh, organizations conduct on a uh, calendar every annual i think uh, the the critical points need not be the work out productivity or the work output it should also involve the learning and compassionate feedback as the end goals that is mm. where the performance reviews will become more valuable because you are measuring the productivity through the mental health lens because if you are if your employee is mentally healthy he is going to give his 100% i would like to give us a very interesting uh, another uh, uh, experience of mine uh, again one more uh, client of us a ceo from a company Uh, all, uh, but there was a phase where he he succumbed to bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. and uh, through the conversations of mental health, through his own experiences, through the conversations with us, he finally eventually came back with this uh, concept called "fire to wire, but not to fire." Oh wow! So what it means is, we hire as an organization, we hire people. our idea to hire is to make the best out of it for the individual and for the organization mm-hmm. but eventually we end up firing people for various range of reasons but i would like to ask you should the fault lie only on an individual or should the fault lie on the organization the culture the atmosphere what we have so it is important that the culture should have Uh, such a strong values where an individual comes into the organization we can rewire the brain through the internal culture policies values these are the fundamentals so when your hr mantra is to hire to wire but not to fire this attrition is a wonderful yardstick to understand what is your mental health of your employees and the organization this individual once he suffered he made sure in the last one calendar year anywhere any time if the hrs believe that one of his uh, team member is struggling through they are comfortable in making facilitating a conversation with a clinical psychologist or counselor this is the crisis mm. management board they have picked up in the last one calendar year so these have been our own experiences in the last one calendar year and we believe this should be the way forward as the organizations go forward they should invest their mental and financial energy to understand how to put these principles into practice thank you thank you for sharing uh, all that including the anecdote but personally i feel very hopeful 
Like, I feel like this is such a critical point in uh, the conversation from mental well-being perspective in India. Like, I know that it has been a taboo in the past and I feel like this is the beginning of changing those narratives, changing those questions, you know, changing like... Um, changing the environment where it's becoming a lot more accepted for people to talk about it and people to um, even seek help when necessary. Thank you for that. And in closing, I have three questions that I would like to ask. And I'm going to ask two questions to one of you and one question to the both of you. So a first question would be to Akanksha. If there are three books that you would want to recommend to our listeners, what would they be? Question. The first book I would rec uh, refer is um, Tuesdays with Maury. This book is oh, by Mitch I love Kibble. that. Yes, I think it's my go-to therapist all the time. Um, it is by Mitch Albom, and an old man, a young man, and life's greatest lessons. So it's about you know lessons and values on how to live life and you know ground realities of life. So that is one. Number two, Ikigai which is mm -hmm. The Japanese Secret to Long and Happy Life. It is by Hector Garcia and Francis Miralis. And it is basically on how to find your purpose and meaning in life. Third mm -hmm. book I would like, uh, you know, uh, suggest here is uh, Wherever You Go, There You Are. It is by John Kabat-Zinn. It is on cultivating mindfulness uh, in mm -hmm. your own way, in your own life. So I think at this point of time, when we are so vulnerable, we have so many things coming into our mind. Uh, I think mindfulness is going to be the key. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, the first book, The Tuesdays with Mori, was introduced to me by one of my teachers and my mentor in high school. And it's a book I treasure even now, like almost two decades later. It's something that is absolutely delightful. And I feel it's so relevant in different seasons, when you read it in different seasons. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Dr. Venktesh, next question is to you. Two quotes that inspire you. I think I would like to quote something I have put across in my own chamber. Mm -hmm. uh, one is from uh, Buddha. And uh, I try to put this <laughs> into the conversation with every client. No matter how hard the past, you can always begin again. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wow. always, I, I look forward for this thought because I say, it gives me a belief that today is a new day. That means it is a clean slate. Mm. It gives me a sense of optimism that there is something wonderful possible today. I will work on yesterday, but today is a new day. So that's one. The other one, uh, I think largely, which deals with mental health myths, where not mental illness is not a choice, but recovery is. Like everybody say this. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets a choice to become ill mentally. Mm. They don't choose it. They endure the pain. But you always have a choice to recover. So mental illness is never the choice, but recovery is always a choice. You can choose it because many a times either people discriminate others or many a people feel that they have given up. So these are two quotes which keeps me driving every day. I have to walk into my chamber. They make me feel like, you know, something is possible. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. So the last question is for both of you. One question that every manager or leader should be asking themselves about engaging with their team members in the season, especially. What do you think it would be? Akanksha, would you like to go first? 
I think just one question that they should ask themselves every day in the morning when they wake up after stretching up a little bit and having a glass of water, I think they should ask themselves, how can I be a better version of myself today? So that this gives them a reminder about what was the shortcoming yesterday and also leaving a scope for improvement. Excellent. Dr. Venkatesh? What I try with every client and myself and my family members, especially when I'm angry, can there be an alternative perspective? Hmm. Always ask this question. Can there be an alternative perspective? I'm angry, but is it because of him or is it because I'm not able to? I'm not happy. Is it because of somebody or I'm not be able to? You all, when the alternative, the, the ability to see the alternative is a way to happiness. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, thank you, Dr. Venkatesh and Akanksha, and to, of course, to all our listeners. We're very, very grateful, Dr. Venkatesh and Akanksha, for having you join us. And I mean, this has been really insightful. Like, I felt like this was not enough. There was so many more questions I was noting down, but I said, like, for the sake of time, I'm going to keep it a little bit more brief. Uh, so thank you for sharing your insights. I really appreciate it. And just before we close, to all our listeners, if you're going through a challenging situation and you're unsure what to make of it, please do reach out to us. Or if you recognize it in people around you, gently encourage them to reach out. We're here to help and we're happy to make introductions to whoever you need to or connect you with people who you need to so that you can get the help you need. Thank you for being a part of this documentation, Akansha. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. You. Thank you, Costa. The, the pleasure was mutually with you.